You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirkanish right here in the middle. This is the Smirkanish podcast for independent minds. Today is day six, day six of Sarah Palin's defamation action against the New York Times. Her testimony began briefly yesterday. She's presumed to be back on the stand now, probably as I'm speaking to you. Josh Gerstein is the senior legal affairs reporter for Politico. He's been covering the trial and he joins me now. Hey, Josh, thank you so much for your time. Let me just say at the outset that I'm really into this case and I have been since long before it began its formal trial. And I think your coverage has been excellent because I have been looking for someone who's totally on top of this and it's you. So congrats. Thanks, Michael. That's very very nice of you to say. I appreciate it. I think it's also a a fascinating case. You've been, part of the time, you've been actually in the courtroom, if I'm not mistaken. Paint that picture. What's it like? Where are you? What does the scene look like? Um, So it's taking place in uh, a high-rise in lower Manhattan, uh, U.S. District Court, federal court, uh, where you have a lot of uh, high-profile uh, cases uh, like the uh, most recently the Jeffrey Epstein um, Maxwell Kislein Maxwell case uh, probably the biggest uh, biggest draw there recently and also a trial for Michael Avenatti. Um, you uh, you know it, it, there aren't that many people in the courtroom because of uh, COVID precautions. The court there taking COVID pretty seriously. Um, you've had for a week. Uh, Palin sitting at the front table in the courtroom between two of her lawyers, uh, but socially distanced. And behind her in the courtroom, another table for the defense with a couple uh, lawyers, outside lawyers for The New York Times, uh, with uh, James Bennett, who was the head of The Times' editorial page uh, at, at the, the time of the incident in question here with Palin, uh, and, and inserted the material that Palin said that she found uh, to be offending and defamatory to her, uh, seated between the two of them uh, and, you know, a smattering of other people in the courtroom. Uh, there's nine jurors. They'll be whittled down from nine to six when they actually begin deliberating. I believe it's six women and three men, if uh, if uh, if I recall correctly, from jury selection. Day. I'm just curious, because of the attention that uh, Palin received from dining out at Elio's on the Upper East Side, is she masked? Uh, yeah, she's been masked. I mean, they wouldn't allow you in the courtroom if you weren't uh, if you weren't masked. So everybody in the courtroom is masked the whole time. Although um, when she went on the stand uh, yesterday, uh, I wasn't in the courtroom to see that. But 
I think she would have been unmasked at that point. They allow you to take your mask off when you're on the witness stand so that the jury can see, you know, what the lawyers call your demeanor. Uh, and the, the person who's asking questions of the witness, the lawyer, uh, is allowed to unmask. Both of them are kind of in a plexiglass box uh, at, when, when they're doing the questioning and the answering. I'd like to think that my audience knows the basic facts. I'll, I'll just briefly review. 2017 was the shooting at that congressional baseball practice it's that day that the Times, that evening, I should say, drops an editorial. They they look back to the 2011 shooting that involved Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords. And the paragraph that they posted initially said this, quote, was this attack evidence of how vicious American politics has become? Probably in 2011, when Jared Lee Lochner opened fire in a supermarket parking lot, grievously wounding Representative Gabby Giffords and killing six people, including a nine year old girl. Keywords now. The link to political incitement was clear. Before the shooting, Sarah Palin's political action committee circulated a map of targeted electoral districts that put Ms. Giffords and her 19 other Democrats under stylized crosshairs. We we now know that Elizabeth Williamson initially wrote the editorial. She was D.C. based. And then James Bennett, the editorial page editor, he got involved later that day in the afternoon. And I've been following what his testimony consisted of in your reporting for Politico. Talk to me about Bennett. Um, So Bennett, before we mention his testimony, you you know, the interesting almost uh, Shakespearean element for him here is uh, while he's sitting there between the two times lawyers, uh, some of your listeners may recognize that he no longer works for the New York Times. In fact, he uh, was essentially forced out of the paper in a very high-profile incident in, I think, 2020, if I have the, the dates correctly, uh, when he ran an op-ed or authorized the running of an op-ed from Senator Tom Cotton that talked about, uh, was, I think the title was Call in the Troops, talked about bringing in the National Guard to quell violence stemming from the George Floyd protests and the Black Lives Matter protests uh, that led to a huge uproar, not just from readers to the Times, but actually from the staff. And I think it looked like a lot of the times the staff would quit if they didn't do something. And and Mr. Bennett's head was the one that was served up over that incident. So while the Times is defending him and he's sort of trying to help the Times win this case, it's a little bit of an awkward uh, marriage. And by the way, Josh, the the jury, at least thus far, they don't know the whole cotton incident and the fact that uh, he left as a result of that. As far as I know, I, I don't I listened to all of jury selections. A little bit of it was done behind closed doors, but uh, or at least in a place where we couldn't hear it. But as, they were never told as a group about that. Maybe some of them independently heard about it. I don't know if they were questioned individually about it, but but I didn't hear that happen during jury selection. So as far as I know, most of them, perhaps all of them, don't know. Now, they do know he no longer works at the Times, but there's been no real discussion of why. And Not by the, the way, courtroom. we should also add, just for, for political intrigue and drama, he is the brother of United States Senator Michael Bennett. Right, he is. Uh, and <laughs> and that, that's story. something that... Yeah, that, that's something that um, Palin's lawyers um, have have wanted to bring up as well. But I don't think that 
um, has reached the jury either, at least through any official channel. So Elizabeth Williamson writes the editorial. Now it gets to Bennett. Bennett inserts the words, quote, the link to political incitement was clear. There's been a lot of attention about incitement. Uh, he was questioned uh, in terms of why he used that word. The judge a couple of times has read a definition of incitement out loud. Thoughts, Josh Gerstein, that you wanted to add on that? Yeah. So, you know, uh, what Bennett says is that he was using sort of a less direct version of incitement that, um, you know, while there's a legal definition, uh, you know, that you're saying something so strong that you're encouraging someone to go and immediately do something illegal. um, He meant something a little different. He he spent some time working in the Middle East as a correspondent for The Times. uh, And he says what he had in mind was simply extreme rhetoric which raises the temperature of some political uh, type debate to the point where uh, people that are unstable might get even more unstable and do something violent. And he says that's what he had in mind and that when he said a direct link, what he meant was not literally that you could prove that the say Jared Lofner, the rather deranged individual who carried out the 2011 shooting in Arizona, had read or seen that map that Palin had released but rather that there was some evidence that uh, Giffords, Gabby Giffords, who who was shot there and badly wounded, that her district was being directly targeted by that sort of rhetoric. That's what he meant. Uh, he said uh, at one point on the stand, maybe specific would have been a better word than direct. But that was the meaning he was intending to convey. And what he was intending to convey is actually quite important here because you know, because of this actual malice standard, um, it really comes down to Bennett's state of mind, maybe the collective state of mind of the New York Times. And did they either do this on purpose or were they being so reckless in their handling of this editorial that they they had good reason to think at the time they published it, it was false. Um, but they, you know, essentially deliberately ignored those doubts. Right. Where Sarah Palin is a public figure. It's not a negligence standard. It's an actual malice standard from New York Times versus Sullivan. What is actual malice? It's knowledge of falsity. I see no evidence of this, of that, pardon me, in this case, or reckless disregard for the truth. Now, I want to read two paragraphs from your coverage, uh, having posed in front of the audience the idea that the question is whether the Times was reckless. Were they wrong? Yes. Were they reckless? Listen to Josh Gerstein's reporting. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? 
In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. Listen to Josh Gerstein's reporting. Quote, the former Times editor, that would be Bennett, also said under questioning that one reason the disputed passages were not flagged sooner was that the original drafter of the editorial, Elizabeth Williamson, did not carefully read the final copy after it was sent to her by email twice in the process, the time, a process the Times staffers call, quote unquote, playback. Quote, this is my fault, Right. I wrote those sentences, and I'm not looking to shift the blame to anyone else, so I just want to say that, but yeah, I mean, this is why we send playback to writers, because they're the ones who reported the story. That's what Bennett said. They're the ones who are in possession of the facts, and it's important for them to review pieces to make sure that others haven't introduced errors, unquote. What's going on there, Josh? Well, you know, so this is the question I mentioned earlier, whether the Times collectively understood that this wasn't correct. And, you know, the Bennett is being sued personally here, although I'm sure the Times would uh, pay out any damages that might be assessed against him. But the Times is also being sued. And so the jury has to kind of decide whether the mindset of everybody working for the Times on this particular editorial um, reached this standard of recklessness. Uh, and was it so... Um, evident to them that this was likely not true, that, you know, they essentially turned their head away. You know, it's sort of like saying, well, you didn't know there was a murder, but you heard somebody screaming at the end of the hall and you just kept walking, you know, and does it reach that level of deliberate indifference to what, you know, what's being said to you? And so the question is, in part, will the jury think that that, you know, uh, her being sent copy of sort of the final copy of this editorial and not thoroughly reading it. I think she looked at the top. She saw, according to her testimony, she saw that Bennett had sort of tweaked it the way, um, you know, she, he had a different idea about the lead or the very top of the editorial. And he, she wrote a quick email back to him saying, yeah, I see what you wanted to do and, you know, uh, and, and appreciate your efforts or whatever. From your but coverage. She later that she, yeah. yeah. She said later that she didn't read the entire uh, document and she really wishes she would have. I did not read it thoroughly. She told the jury on Friday, in retrospect, I wish I had. Do you get any vibe being in that courtroom that you wanted to share? How's the jury? Are they paying close attention? Um, I, I don't, they're definitely paying attention, but I don't get a clear uh, vibe of what's going on. I mean, the, the when the trial kicked off, Palin's attorneys were pretty blunt about the fact that they she, they understood that she's not probably the most popular figure in uh, Manhattan, in New York City, a very liberal place. And she's a pretty conservative populist uh, politician who kind of was mocked when she went on to the national stage, became you know, um, 
was poked fun at a lot by the people at Saturday Night Live, for example, who produced their program right there in, in Manhattan. So so I think they realized and they said as much that they think they face an uphill uh, battle here. But uh, they're trying to humanize Palin now that she's on the stand talking about her as a single mother, uh, as someone who basically came from very modest roots and uh, built a career for herself herself uh, in politics in Alaska in, in a way that, you know, as some of the extraneous stuff about Bennett is not coming in, uh, some of the extraneous stuff about Palin has yet to come in. Although, remember, she ultimately has to prove that this damaged her probably financially in some way, shape or form. Um, and so there's going to have to be some discussion of her reputation uh, nationally and, and whether this really did damage her. Did it set her back in any way? Some people would argue that just thrusting her name into the spotlight years after she was at her most famous um, may have helped her from a financial a financial sense, bizarre as that may sound. I need to pull something. Uh, Josh, that was excellent. I need to pull something. And, and what I need to look at is the definition of reckless. How will this jury be charged on the definition of what does it mean to be reckless? What's that standard Southern District of New York jury instruction look like on that point? Because to me, that's what it all is is coming down to. Any final thought from you? Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think that's that's part of what it may come down to. And, you know, I think people's overall feelings about the times. And uh, as you say, it's not a, not a negligence case. And I think that's been mentioned in front of the jury uh, several times. I think Judge Rakoff, who is the uh, the judge that's running this trial, will be pretty clear in telling the jury what the standard is. It's also worth mentioning to people that Judge Rakoff actually threw this case out once already, um, only to see it reinstated by the appeals court. So he, he clearly is not thinking that this is a terribly strong case, but he's following his orders to basically put it on trial, which is more or less what the Second Circuit well, told him to I do. Don't, I don't know if, if you ever heard my theory. My theory is that Palin probably knows that the, the odds are stacked against her at the trial level, but she's playing long ball. She wants to get to the Supreme Court and, and hopes that Gorsuch and Thomas and others, but especially those two who already evidenced a desire to take another look at Times versus Sullivan, she thinks they'll be on her side and she wants to set a new standard. So I think she's in for the long haul. Yeah, I agree with you, Michael. I think that was that was definitely the strategy when she filed this in 2017. I think, uh, as with a lot of legal cases, it has gotten dragged out and delayed effectively by the pandemic. And there are now, however, real questions, though, about whether that strategy will work for her here or for whoever um, is really perhaps pushing her to pull, pursue this case uh, against the Times. There have been some changes in the law in New York since she filed it, and now it looks like this case might not be the best vehicle, um, even if the Supreme Court were interested in overturning um, New York Times versus Sullivan. Um, they might want a cleaner case than this uh, because of some developments in New York that have taken place since then. And so uh, we'll see if this becomes that vehicle or not. Josh, thank you. Really great job. Okay. Really Take appreciate care, Michael. it. Happy to chat. Bye-bye. Josh Gerstein is the senior legal affairs reporter for Politico. There you go. Palin probably testifying as I'm speaking. Uh, more to come because I'm keenly interested, and I'm sure tomorrow I'll give you the recap on what transpires today. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? 
could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.